it's a privilege to be in the presence of our presence of our Lord and Savior this morning. And we must never forget that he's here. It's all about him. It always has been, and it always will be. And we're thankful to be among friends, many of you, some we've known for a long time. And it's been a joy and a privilege to know all of you. Um, Dick and Lucy, it's really good to see you guys this morning. Last time we met was in Staples, I think, or something like that, in East Greenbush. But God is good, and he's good all the time. And that's why we're here. And I wanted to share with you this morning a passage that has always been one of my favorites. But one thing I want to remind us is, as we get into the scripture here, we can get so familiar with the Bible that we forget that it's alive. It becomes a story to us that Oh, it's nice to remember. No, it's alive. It is present today. And I want to read from John chapter 21. And this is after Jesus was resurrected. And it's, again, one of my favorite passages. I'm going to read the chapter. And then we're going to walk through it. But think in your minds of the context of what was happening here. Remember, this is Jesus after he was resurrected from the dead that this story is around. It says in John chapter 21, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Remember, risen Savior. This is not some abstract concept we're talking about here. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the two sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I love that. Let's go fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, You do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and they were not able to haul it in because the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. He was alive. The one they thought was dead was alive, and he said, it's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the, far from the land, but were about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. 
And although, three, although there were so many, the, boat, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you, were, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. Now he said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. We need to put this in a little bit of context. And we're going to walk back the context a little bit, and then we're going to look at what it means for us today. But remember, not that long before that, again in the book of John, Jesus is talking to his disciples before he died. And he's talking to Peter. And Peter's saying, Lord, I want to follow you. I will go with you to your death. And Jesus said, no, Peter, you won't. Tonight you're going to deny me three times. And the Gospel of Luke carries a little bit further, and he says, but when you turn, Strengthen the brethren. Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him. And that's one of the contexts we have to understand when we're listening to that passage where Jesus is talking to Peter. We need to understand that Jesus knew everything Peter was going to do before he did it. And we think about, Lord, why would you do that? Here's a man that's going to deny you, and it's hard to conceptualize in our minds a worse sin against God than denying him. In his hour of need, Christ was about to be crucified, and Peter couldn't even talk to a little servant girl without shaking in fear, saying, no, I don't know him. Peter ran away from Christ in his deepest hour of need, and Jesus knew he was going to do it. And yet Jesus, as we see in this passage that we just read, Jesus comes to Peter, and he's talking to him. And he says, Peter, 
Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. Here's God, knowing full well that Peter was going to sin. And saying, but you know what? There's something greater here than your sin. There's something more powerful here and that you cannot change, destroy, or alter. And that's the work that I'm doing. And he said, but I'm also going to go, and he's talking to Peter, and he said, I'm going to give you a job, Peter. Feed my sheep. Peter, as we know, if we go the context, we follow this out a little bit longer at the Feast of Ingathering or the Feast of First Fruits, which we now know as Pentecost. And that was because it was 50 days after um, the Passover when Jesus was crucified. Peter went from a shaking, fearful, insecure man to the most powerful preacher that has ever existed on the planet in 50 days. 50 days. And there was something different that Peter saw. There, what was it that was different? And it comes down to what Peter knew. Before, Peter did not know Jesus was going to rise from the dead. He wanted to believe that it would happen, but he didn't know it. He was afraid. Peter, when before Christ died, he denied him. And Peter, as we know earlier in the passage, in the, in the scriptures, Peter just made a lot of mistakes, usually for, the good, for good reasons, but he made a lot of mistakes. Peter didn't know the power of Christ's forgiveness yet. He didn't know the love of God, and he had not yet tasted the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, at this moment, when Peter jumped into the water to find him on the beach, wanted to take Peter from that place where he was afraid and insecure. And he did three things in the words that he spoke. The first thing Peter did, and sometimes we read this, or Jesus did, sometimes we read this passage in light of what Peter did. Oh, Peter did this sin, and so God, Jesus was rebuking him. Jesus was not rebuking Peter here. It wasn't a rebuke. It was a reminder, Peter, even though... You did this. I am still with you. If it had been a rebuke, he would have said, turn around and then I might give you some work later on. He didn't do that. He handed it to him directly. He said, Peter, you're forgiven. God doesn't give a person a job if they're not forgiven. Peter was forgiven. He began to understand the power of God's forgiveness. Because Jesus didn't reject him. He said, follow me. He understood the power of knowing God's love because he had experienced it. He had condemned, he had betrayed Jesus. And Jesus, if we look in the Gospels, in one of the passages in the Gospels, it says Jesus looked at him 
And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter remembered that. And yet Jesus showed him that love. And then on Pentecost, we know what happens. The Holy Spirit came, and the same man who cowered in front of a little servant girl was preaching in front of the very same crowds that on the day that Jesus was crucified were yelling, crucify him. You've got to remember in the, the, the celebrations the Jews had throughout the year with the Passover, with the ingathering, and then the final one, Um, the Day of Atonement, those were days when all the Jewish men were supposed to be in Jerusalem. So in other words, the people who were there at Passover were the very same crowds that were there when Peter spoke at Pentecost. The very same crowds that caused him fear and trembling were the very same crowds that he stood up in front of them and proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. Peter now knew the power of God's forgiveness. He knew the depth of God's love for him and he was living by the Holy Spirit and he blew the doors off the place. Why? Because he knew Jesus, and Jesus knew him. When we're thinking about the world we face today, when we're looking at the situations surrounding us, we often become like Peter, especially Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. This was, again, Peter took out a sword and wanted to fight. And rightfully so, if somebody's coming at you with swords and clubs and everything, you want to fight. Peter pulled out a sword. He wanted to use the weapons of this world to fight off the mob that was coming. And Jesus said, that's not what we're about. Stand back, Peter. Put your sword down because I'm going to win this battle. And what did Jesus do? He won the battle. Peter wanted to do it with the sword, and how often are we tempted, as we see the challenges that we face in the world today, to pick up the weapons of the world, to yell just a little bit louder, to get just a little more angry at the people who are destroying our peace, to be more emphatic and try to point out how wrong everybody else is. How often do we do that? We see the news. How many of us like to look at the news and go, great, the world is wonderful. Isn't this fantastic what's happening? Or do we say, man, why are people so stupid? <laughs> we are, but we, we, we get angry. We get mad, and we should be mad at sin in the world, but we should be mad not in such a way that we adapt the tactics or the warfare of the world. Because we've got a God who's already won this war. We're not fighting to prove other people wrong. We're living to prove Jesus right. And we can spend our time trying to prove other people wrong. Or we can spend our time trying to prove Jesus right. And that's the critical question we have to ask ourselves today. What are we investing our time in? Are we investing it in trying to prove Can I prove John wrong? I'm sure I could find something. 
Likewise, he could do the same with me. And we could spend our days going, well, you did that wrong. Well, you did this. What value would that be for anybody? Zero. We could accomplish nothing. So we're all wrong. God already knew that. We prove nothing by proving, particularly somebody who doesn't know Jesus, wrong. We prove nothing. Jesus already knows they're wrong. He already knows they're not living in a godly way. What we need to be able to do is what Peter did. Is say this war, this battle we're fighting is to turn the hearts, the eyes, the minds, and the souls of people to Jesus. Because only in Jesus will they find their victory You can yell at a person until they change their political party, their ideology, and guess what? Without Jesus, they're going to hell. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if a drunk stops drinking. He goes to hell sober. It doesn't matter if somebody who has an identity that you don't agree with changes that identity. Without Jesus, they're going to be in hell with their identity. What matters is that they get to know Jesus. Let Jesus work on them. Because it's his job. It's our job to bring the love of Christ to a dying world. And I want to back this up one more step before we close this morning. We're going to go back to the garden because that's where it all began. When we read the account in Genesis... Many times, even in our preaching and in our teaching, we really like to start with Genesis chapter 3. Because that's where it all started going bad. That's the point at which the fall, the brokenness of humanity was represented. But we can't do that. We've got to go back to Genesis chapter 1, 2. And read about the tree of life. What was God's intent? It was to give us life. And like Jesus with Peter on that day before Jesus was crucified, God knew everything we were going to do with everything he had done for us. And yet he did it anyway. God knew Adam and Eve were going to sin. Yet he did it anyway. Jesus knew Peter was going to sin. And yet he died for him anyway. That's the God we know. That's the meaning of grace. It's not that we made a mistake and God had to suddenly figure out this plan. Oh no, my son has to die because they sinned. He planned Jesus to die before we sinned. And in a very real way, when we look at that, and it says Jesus participated in that creative process, the hands that were scarred with those nails bled in the soil that he mixed to form our bodies. He was already bleeding for us when he created us. 
And when we know that, when we know there's a God that loves me so much that he doesn't look at my sin, he looks at who he created me to be and says, I can give you life. And we read this morning the passage in John 10, 10. I've come to give you life and that abundantly. He said, your sin is not the point of what I'm trying to do. I am going to give you life. And that's the faith, that's the hope, that's how we live knowing full well that Jesus did this all intentionally. God did it all intentionally. And as we think about how we walk through the world that we're living in today, just like Peter, when we realize all that God has done for us, his love for us, the forgiveness that we've been given, and the fact that we have the power of the Holy Spirit, It's another good thing to remember. Peter didn't have the Holy Spirit when he denied Christ. So let's not be too hard on him. Um, We have the Holy Spirit, by the way. And when we remember that, when we face these situations, let's not face them with fear. Let's face them with the confidence of knowing that whether or not the people we're talking to or showing love to respond to us in the way that we would like them to respond that we are responding the way Jesus responded to us. We're responding out of love. We're responding out of compassion. We're carrying the gospel. The the evangelistic message we have is not one of asking other people to change. It's not one of expecting other people to do something and give something up. It's we, as we travel with this good news, we give what Jesus freely gave to us, we freely give to others. That's, evangel- that's evangelism. When we give as Christ gave to us, the world may or may not recognize it. But we know how the story ends, and that's the final context, is we know that Jesus is going to return. And we know what happens when he returns. And we get to experience what Peter experienced on the shore of that lake. I've seen my risen Savior face to face. We are loved by God. We are valued by God. And he has a purpose for our lives. And it's to share with other people the same message. We don't know who is going to accept That's not our job, that's his. But we're called to do this. Let's pray. Father, this is your work. I pray for the lives in this room. Lord, that we might remember who you are, what you did, and we might know And we might have hope and faith knowing that you do love us. You have given us value. And you're coming back to take us home. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this place. And I pray that we would become more and more the reflection of your glory in this world that is lost and broken and hurting. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus.
Amen.